Welcome to Philosophy at the Movies, a brand new podcast where we discuss themes in the history of philosophy through the medium of film. I'm Alex Baker, and joining me as always... Sean Baker. And today's topic is the 1962 film, The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance. Now, this is a movie whose plot summary can almost be described in the main title. <laughs> but for those who don't know, because this, this is almost 60 years old, yeah. um, this, it begins sort of flash forward. Um, there's a man named Ransom Stoddard, and he's this very prominent politician in Washington, and he's returning to this western town where he used to be. He was there called Shinbone, and it's been there. For, he was there quite some time ago, but it's been a long time. And the big mystery is why is he there? And they find out the newspaper reporter finds out that he's there for the funeral of a man named Tom Donovan. And apparently, this happened so long ago that nobody really knows who Donovan was. So after pressing by the um, people at the paper, he finally reveals the story of who Tom Donovan was, and it relays. He came to Shinbone, Grant um, Stoddard, uh, many years ago when the Western expansion was just going. You know, we did the famous Horace Greeley quote, Go West, young man. And yeah. he, as he's heading into Shinbone, his stagecoach gets robbed by a notorious outlaw named Liberty Valance. After trying to stand up to Liberty Valance, he gets beaten and whipped, and he's sort of carried and into the town later on by stretcher he's taken care of by hallie is her name right yes. hallie and the in the two swedish cooks that she works for at this restaurant they take over and donovan and tom donovan help you know, helps him out but then he re- and they have this debate on what to do with liberty balance donovan is settle your affairs yourself bring a gun and that's how you take care of him and they, but donovan um, stoddard is a studying lawyer and he believes no law and order this is what you need to do and basically, as the story goes on, the threat of Liberty Valance gets more and more. And then, well, not really a spoiler, it's in the title of the movie. Mm-hmm. It gets into a showdown after a fight for state. They're fighting for statehood, and Valance does not get uh, win the election. He tries, he's about to kill Ransom Stoddard, but Stoddard also has a gun. He fires, and it looks like Stoddard kills Liberty Valance. And as Liberty Valance dies, then there is a push for statehood. He goes, he's about to be nominated for a position, and he doesn't want anything to do with it. He walks out, but then Donovan stopped by, and he tell, he feels guilty about shooting Liberty Valance. And then the big reveal is that Donovan was the one that killed Liberty Valance. And then Donovan, and then he tells, Donovan says, because now Haley, I mean Hallie, was the woman he was in love with, but now she's moved towards... Stoddard, so he says, you know, she's do this for her, do this for him, and so then he decides to accept the nomination, and then it flash forwards, so he feels the rest, he's become a prominent politician with even now prospects to become the president of the United States, because he's been billed as this man who restored order because he killed this outlaw, and the just when it looks like that story is about to be published, the publisher throws the novel I mean, throws the story away and he says you're not publishing that and the famous quote is this is the west when the legend beco- when the myth becomes fact print the legend yes and so that is the story of the movie yeah that's very good uh yeah apparently it's uh taking taking place i, I did a little bit of research there is actually a a, a river called picket wire river and it, it was in the uh, territory that is now present-day New Mexico. 
that kind of makes sense because you see a, a sizable Hispanic population in the film. And the um, landscape looks very American yeah. Southwest. Yes. So uh, apparently it is somewhat based on fact. We also have a little bit of a clue since it's from that era from 1848 to 1912 where uh, that was a territory. It didn't, it didn't become a state until 1912, New Mexico. Um, but, you know, there was a, a process in, in uh, doing that. And you see that Rance uh, Stoddard is a part of that process. He's elected as a representative of the territory south of that picket wire river. And the, most of the people in that territory want statehood. And uh, the ranchers... Uh, they always tend to be bad guys for some reason in yeah, westerns, so but <laughs> um, they're north of the Picket Wire River, and they do not want uh, uh, territory or, or to go from territory to statehood because it, it allows them to kind of run the show. And then it's mentioned in the film that part of the way they run that show is basically through terror and hiring uh, hired guns. And Liberty Valance is a classic case in point and i love the irony of his name liberty um it's 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 almost if it's uh, if it's the ranchers or liberty himself saying liberty meet for me but not for thee <laughs> and uh you know he terrorizes this town um and i, I think it's I, I think that's a very good plot summary you gave quite good yeah and interesting that you just mentioned that um you're looking up that the t- uh, was the river was um, Picket Wire. Picket Wire River. It has some in, other name. I can't remember. But in New Mexico, because speaking of New Mexico and outlaws, one of the most famous outlaws of all time, in New, and he was in New Mexico, was Billy the Kid. And he came from a, during a, ra- a war between different ranchers. The rancher he worked for was murdered by another, and they had connections with the law, and Billy the Kid murdered one of the people that was the sheriff that had that rancher killed and that started this war and it also and it got so bad the then governor of new mexico at that time lou wallace who went on to write um, ben Ben Hur, had to step in and And it's interesting uh because it it is a time time period in american history where uh civilization and the rule of law was tenuous if it was there at all uh, either due to isolation or due to these countervailing pressures of um, interests that did not want to take that extra step to statehood, which would introduce limitations on what they were allowed to do with their land and so forth. Uh, but also, uh, uh, very often, it, it, it would be the case that the uh, what passed for law enforcement in the territories was inept. And we see that in this film with uh, Marshall Appleyard. He's uh, I, I love uh, Andy Devine. He plays he, he plays the same character in almost every yeah. John Ford movie. Right? Yes, oh, uh, guy. Yes, and you, you wonder how the hell he became Marshall. I mean, he's yeah. got absolutely no ability to enforce the law or courage to enforce the law. And uh, well, maybe that's why he became Marshall because he was an easily controlled figure. I guess that could have been the case. Yeah, I love that scene when um, it's after Liberty Valance dies and. Donovan sort of kicks out the two henchmen and he says, you know, drag these guy out of there, Marshall. And Marshall's acting like, yeah, I dragged you out of her. And you can tell the major apple. And he kicks the door open, he walks back, and the door hits him on the rear end and he jumps. He yes. thinks they're going after him. Yes. He's just so spineless. Yeah, because Tom Donovan is really, really the one person in this town uh, until uh, Stoddard shows up that you can say is. Uh, doing any kind of effective work at maintaining uh, 
civil order, if not law and order, but certainly uh, uh, doing so, as he points out, uh, out of necessity, with a gun, with a gun. And uh, uh, the contrast, I find the contrast at the beginning of the film between his point of view and uh, Stoddard's point of view. He's come from the the East, and, you know, the the East is very well-established, large cities. Uh, The rule of law has been in place at least since the 1700s, probably farther back. Um, So he comes with that mindset to the West, and uh, he, he almost appears comical to uh, 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 Donovan because he's, he's naive and ill-prepared for the situation he's being faced with. And he says, you will need to get a gun. And Stoddard's dead set against it. He doesn't think he needs to. He thinks, you know, I've got my law books. I can do uh, take steps necessary to get this man arrested by the marshal. Yeah, right. He's, he's afraid to death of the guy. He's not going to arrest him. Um, but gradually, over the course of that first, you know, half to two thirds of the film, you see him coming around to the realization that, uh, you know, this is a circumstance where it's not possible to take the normal legal route. You do have to resort to violence to check violence and coercion. And it's interesting to see that character development in him. He gets that gun very grudgingly. He keeps it a secret that he's going out and training with it. We have that great scene when Donovan finds him trying to train and shows him how far he has to go before he has Mm -hmm. a prayer of uh, being able to stand up to violence. Um, uh, I think there's a metaphor there. When I I watch this, there's a metaphor there um, uh, for modern society, and it, it makes us remember how, how tenuous civilization is, how tenuous the rule of law is, how lucky we are that we're in a country where basically it's, it's pretty well in place and you have a low level of the kind of disunity and chaos that uh, we saw was very common in the Old West, a very kind of a Hobbesian point, uh, you know, uh, environment, uh, people looking out only for their own interests and realizing there's a significant enough number of people that are doing that in the territory that even if you're not inclined that way, you do have to, as it were, protect yourself with the gun. Yeah, and you see that with you know Tom Donovan. I can see him as the famous Western lawman you would see. Like me, I'm thinking mainly Wyatt Earp. If you read the story of Wyatt Earp and the famous shootout at the OK Corral, he didn't exactly go by the rules. Some of his stuff may have been illegal, especially after one of his family members was killed during against one of the Clantons. And yeah. he went on a rampage and started killing a lot of people. So it's once again this whole, you have these guys that came in, they went outside the law to settle the West. And yeah. just like Donovan, once... Law and order came in and statehood came in and you started seeing that land more civilized. There wasn't really much need for them anymore. They went away. Their their time was done, which also makes me think of another classic Ford film with John Wayne, uh, The Searchers. Once Ethan Edwards, his character's job is done in that movie, he's sort you can almost see him. He's awkward. He's standing. He doesn't really know what to do. He's not let inside. He just roams again. Yes. You see the same thing in that character. Once 
Liberty Valance is dead. Once Rance Stoddard's become on his way to become a prominent politician and Haley's choosing him instead of Donovan, Donovan just, you know, you never see him again after that. He supposedly he just dies and you don't really know what happens to him then. Yeah, and I, I, I see parallels there, not only in the, in the American West, but in uh, r- more recent world history. It tends to be the case that when there's an existential threat and and something like World War II, for instance, societies uh, that do respect law and order uh, nevertheless uh, appreciate having and make use of people that, uh, to put it bluntly, like to fight. Um, You can think of um, Curtis LeMay as an example of that. Bomber Harris, he was a uh, a general in the British Air Force during World War II. These guys did some rough things, fire bombings, carpet bombings. Um, and during the war, they were pretty much lionized. But as you say, after the threat has passed, it's almost as if the societies of which they are part are almost embarrassed that these guys exist and that they had mm-hmm. to use them. And uh, you see, you see a kind of moral distancing from these guys. It's a strange conflict or dichotomy or almost lack of ad- admission on the parts of these societies. Sweeping it under the rug. Sweeping it under the rug, exactly. A lack of admission that you know you had these extreme emergency situations and you had to make use of means that. Normal civilized societies do not, but it was because you were facing a threat from a normal civilized society or a, a completely abnormal, yes. uncivilized society that was attempting to impose that kind of order on either your part of the world or the entire world. Right? You have to, once again, thinking back to World War II, you had Imperial Japan and you had Nazi Germany attempting to carve up the world. The world would have been very much different and a horrible place to live if they had it succeeded and the uncomfortable fact i think and and, uh, argument can be made is they would have succeeded without the use of extraordinary and usually immoral means to stop them and i think that's kind of the message here on a smaller scale more uh uh, united states centric scale uh with this film and other films like it and and you do you feel sorry for uh Tom Donovan, at the end of that story, it's almost like his, his time has passed in a way. You know, they do a good job of contrasting the settled state of New Mexico there at the end of the film and at the beginning when he first arrives. And it, it's civilized. It's not dangerous anymore with the, to use the tired cliche, the wild, wild west that was there as long as Liberty Valentin his rancher uh, patrons were uh, terrorizing people. And it, it's easy enough for those of us in the civilized world to forget we're not at that far removed from that kind of a world. And there are parts of the world where it's still like that, very much like that. And not only you were, you were talking about how you know we use these people and then we sort of try to ignore them, but we also, in the way with particularly with the character of Rand Stoddard, create a myth. And you can see the myth of Rand Stoddard, Ransom Stoddard, even with 
people like like Wyatt Earp, like I just mentioned, these romanticize. The, you know, it's the romantic of him standing up to injustice against insurmountable odds, and he, like David versus Goliath, and killing him. And he's he's that persona has propelled him to a great career in Washington, possibly becoming the next president of the United States. Yeah, and it's like I said, you think of any famous figure in Western history. I mean, Amer- the American West. Think of General Custer. Think, uh, like we said, Wyatt Earp. You could even say Jesse, even outlaws like Jesse James, who did horrible, monstrous things. He is romanticized as this great hero. Yes. It could be any Western hero. We choose to focus on this romantic side of it while ignoring the real things. And not only that, but the director of this movie is John Ford. Think of something like Stagecoach. He even did a story about the Earps called movie called My Darling Clementine. He's, he is also responsible for creating these romanticized ideals and starting in the 50s, I think with the searchers, he's looking back more on it. Even with the, one of his Calvary trilogy films, Fort Apache, is very much yes. with Henry Fonda and John Wayne, is also very much about General Custer. Yes. So even he's looking back at this time and saying... Not everything was good, and you know some yeah. of these people we romanticize. You know, there's not a lot of truth to the you know the myth, which is comes to that classic line: yes. "When the legend becomes fact, print the legend." It does at this point. It doesn't matter now that everything we know about it is wrong. We're still think when we think of Ransom Stoddard in this world, we're still thinking of the man who shot Liberty Valance, which is the last line said in the movie. When he's thanking the guy for the efficient train work, and he goes, "Nothing's too good for the man who shot Liberty Valance." And yes. you can see Stoddard looking down, and he's displeased with that. Yes, he knows he's and almost feels that his whole political career is based on that lie. Yeah, and it, it's it's interesting um, that in the penultimate scene there with the newsman, as he finishes telling his story, and he is completely honest in telling the story, so they know. Uh, that Donifant is the person that killed Liberty Valance that that fateful night, and you, you see that the uh, the second uh, in command, so to speak, journalist there, who's yeah. uh, he's written all of this down, and his boss Peabody, who by the way, I, I had no clue that that was Edmund O'Brien until I just looked at him very close. I thought, oh yeah, his old his news, old newspaper yes. boss, not the guy in the flash right. flash forward, yeah. right. Um, Edmund O'Brien, uh, I, what an actor! It's just incredible. But anyway, I'm, it's interesting that they decided to tear it up because, like you said, it, it preserves the myth. It, it preserves kind of a founding story for the territory, and it preserves a man that people look up to and admire. Um, and I think that's a a recognition that something like that is necessary in order for a a territory or a country to have uh, direction and self-respect and perhaps even moral self-respect, right? So we do tend to do that, and we do tend to, just as a country, tend to whitewash. And this is not unusual. Every country in the world does this, right? Tend to whitewash or at least down downplay the negative features of our country. Um but what I find I, maybe Ford is after here is that uh, it, it's a it's almost a uniquely uh, American trait, though, that we are self-critical, and we do co- we do go through that 
as it were, that cycle of myth-making and then getting more realistic about the myths and the people involved in the myths and then recalibrating and then moving on. Um, I think that's indicated in the film in, in several ways, but uh, very subtly in a couple of instances, it, it's, it's indicated very subtly with Pompey. Mm-hmm. There is that scene in the classroom where we have Stoddart attempting to educate and civilize people. And so that they can understand the rule of law and the founding document of the United States, the Constitution. But what they end up talking about is the Declaration and, you know, the statement Jefferson made in the Declaration about all men being created equal and uh, having unalienable rights. Um, Poppy's the one that brings that up. Especially that it's Jefferson that said that. Yes. Yes. And uh, so that that that's kind of a as it were, a positive spin, but also a reminder from Ford to the audience that, and this is 1962, you have to remember this, that, uh, hey, we have these ideals. They're great ideals. They're the proper ideals, morally speaking. We're not living up to them. And it took a damn a war. It took the use of force and guns to at least get us stepping in the right direction in these ideals. And you do have that amazingly contradictory personality of Thomas Jefferson there as a classic case in point. He owned slaves and he he, children with one of his slaves. Yes. And he recognized the inconsistency in his own opinion or in his own positions. And position was primarily taken for political purposes. But he recognized it and it became enshrined in the founding concepts of the country and that kind of seed, it grows, and it's something you can't ignore. And eventually it, it develops in the ways, you know, that we saw during the Civil Rights Acts of the 60s, right? So you have that, but then you also have, so that's, that was the, kind of the more hopeful scene. But then you have scenes that remind you of uh, uh, Pompey's position is still almost as if it, if it was, pre-Civil War, during that uh, meeting they have about statehood. And he's not even allowed in the room. You see him on the left of the frame as everybody's going in to vote. He's left and he has this, you can see he has this sad look on his face. Yes. Throughout the movie, he never really protests his position. He never gets angry or upset. So Mm -hmm. I'm not saying he was content with it, but he doesn't seem like he wants to protest. Yeah. And... You, you want him to, or you want Donovan to protest on his behalf after all he works for him. and A very slave-master-like relationship. Yeah. And although there's that element of familiarity with him, mm-hmm. too, um, uh, once again, a great use of tension uh, in, the, in the characters there. And I, I, think, I think Ford's point is, is that in terms of civil rights, we had a long way to go. Yeah, I do want to mention the actor that played Pompey is Woody Strode. Woody Strode, well, actually, interesting, before he pursued a career in Hollywood, he was a football player. He played on UCLA with Jackie Robinson in the late 30s. And later on, he played a couple of years in the NFL and in the CFL. But then he later pursued, but one of the two years earlier, he did a film with John Ford called Sergeant Rutledge. And he was the main star of the movie. He's a Buffalo soldier who is falsely accused of raping a young white woman. And he does that. And it was reading some backstory behind this. I know John Ford get on his actor's nerves 
and he was using Woody Strode to sort of tick off James Stewart and John Wayne. Because John Ford always liked to insult Wayne by using his lack of military service in World War II. Woody Strode served in World War II in many campaigns, and he also played football, just like but John Wayne played football before he played. And he, so he would tell John Wayne, look at that man there. That's a real football star. That's a real war hero. Yeah. And, and he did that uh, with uh, uh, pointing at Jimmy Stewart on several occasions, too, because yeah, Jimmy Stewart was a B-17 bomber. And I don't know, mm-hmm. 30 missions, I think he flew. Yeah, you can even see that in the movie. He's not making Woody Strode a massive, huge part, but he is still letting the audience know, like, look, yes. he's not being allowed to vote. Yes. He's not even allowed to drink at that bar. Yes. He, you know, he's when he's trying to get an education, John Wayne says, no, you work in my house. Yeah, you leave right now. Yeah. yeah. And when he's about to recite all men are created equal, that's when John Wayne goes, whoa, 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 come back here. Yes, exactly. And what's interesting is, uh, you, you've probably read these same things, I'll ask you this, um, um, accounts by Strode of what it was like to work with John Ford, he felt extremely uncomfortable, as far as I know, with the way he was treating these other people. And it was almost, you're right, as if he was to making a point. Look at this massive inconsistency in our society. I'm going to pick on you guys for the benefit of Mr. Strode, you know, and for almost from his point of view. But Strode, nevertheless, he, he didn't like it. Was this the end of the classic era of the Westerns? Because I believe this was, I'm pretty sure this was Ford's last Western. Because he lived until the 70s, but I don't think he made any other Westerns. Yeah. Or, at, or at the very least... Any Westerns that are really well regarded after Liberty Violence. And this is also the time of just countless numbers of TV shows, think like Bonanza. Mm-hmm. And I think this was a time when you still had Westerns going on. I'm thinking, obviously, the Italian Westerns of the 60s. And then, you know, guys like Sam Peckinpah were coming around in the 70s. Yeah. But I think this was the end of the golden era of the Westerns. And well, I, I, I think in his work... There's that interesting time period. It's right around kind of the centenary of the closing of the Old West and the civilizing of the Old West. So I I think there was an element of nostalgia there and looking back and recognizing almost how lucky we were that that civilizing project succeeded, right? Right around that, that period of the 60s. So I think that's a very classical Western theme. Founding of law and order, uh, um, uh, civilization growing roots into territories, right? Um, and you don't see that as much in modern westerns. Right? That, that that same kind of large theme. It's just I, I do wish there would be more westerns made because I think it's it's one, it's probably my favorite genre, but it's just. You don't see a lot. Oh, if you do see a lot of it, it's like these straight to on demand movies starring yeah. like actors who haven't been big since the eighties, and it's like Wyatt Earp's Revenge or The Return of Doc Holliday, kind of straight straight to you know B movies. B movies, exactly. Yeah. Yes, but it's not like the B movies where it's like kind of fun or stylish, something like a Leone film. Leone's early yeah. films were like that, but yeah, just it, yeah. But you might have a comeback because I think one of the Video games. I haven't played this video game, but nearly everybody who plays video games loves this game called Red Dead Redemption 2. Hmm. And it is a film that is a Western, but it takes 
I've seen trailers and stuff, and it takes heavily from classic Western movies. There's a lot of Leone in there. There's a lot of um, yeah. Jesse James. It, it, there's a lot of rich Western history in that. So maybe it'll be making a comeback, but I don't know. Well, is there any part of that video game where uh, a main character is attempting to explain to the the people out there in the sticks how how uh, legislation occurs and how the democratic process works in representative government? No. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that's, I kind of think, is almost the fundamental difference. I mean, in a way, Ford captures that, that era, that centenary uh, look back of appreciation. There were still people alive then that remembered those days, you know. Um, and we're we're well past that time now, and I think that's part of the reason maybe the the Western has faded to some, or at least that style of Western has faded to mm-hmm. some extent, is because we've become too used to what we have, the gift we have, and it was imperfect. You, you mentioned the terrible treatment of Native Americans, uh, but what did you get as a result of of the taming of the West, so to speak? You got the United States of America. Yep. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Philosophy at the Movies. You can find this podcast and more podcasts produced by the Stockdale Center by visiting the Radio Stockdale page at usna.edu. This program is hosted by Radio Stockdale. There you can also listen to their other podcasts such as Ethics and the Naval Warrior and the Do-Over. If you like this podcast, you might be interested in my other podcast, Real Sounds, where each episode I dedicate to classic movie soundtracks. That can be found at thesoundofcinema.automatic.com. So until next time, I'm Alex Baker. And I'm Sean Baker. Saying so long, and be sure to catch us next time on Philosophy at the Movies. Mm-hmm.